Hello, Zen Founder listener. I bet you were expecting to hear Dr. Sherry Walling on the show today, but alas, you get to hear from me, Rob Walling. For those that don't know, Sherry and I have been married for quite some time, a couple decades. I don't like saying exact words because then it shows how old I am. But we created this podcast together and co-hosted the first 200 episodes. And then at that point, I stepped back to focus on other projects. I have a lot going on myself. I run MicroConf and Tiny Seed and a couple successful podcasts and a YouTube channel. And so Sherry took over sole hosting responsibilities since then. But every now and again, usually every month or two, I like to come on the show and Sherry and I bat around things from, it's still the Zen Founder Show, but I'm able to weigh in as maybe the subject matter expert. Not that Sherry's not a subject matter expert in this stuff, but you know, I, I continue to live a lot of this day to day and feel kind of the startup founder angst and the, you know, the challenges around it. And then Every once in a while, it's a little more rare. I come in and do a solo episode. And this episode is actually to help Sherry out because our editor is out of town for a couple weeks. And so we both needed to record several weeks ahead because for all of our shows, we use the same editor. And in this case, Sherry was scrambling trying to get an episode. And I said, you know, I have a really good idea for just a conversational episode where I talk through blind spots and the importance of knowing yourself. And so here I am. Recording this for your listening pleasure. Welcome to the Zen Founder Podcast. This is a place where we have conversations about mental health and entrepreneurship. We have a pretty broad conceptualization of what mental health means. Sometimes depression, anxiety, sometimes relationships or physical health. The goal here is to bring some calm into the crazy roller coaster of ups and downs that is life for many entrepreneurs. I'm your host, I'm Dr. Sherry Walling. I'm a clinical psychologist and an entrepreneur, married to an entrepreneur, live in the world of entrepreneurs, and I'm so pleased that you have joined us for this conversation. Okay, so I want to talk about blind spots, the advantage of knowing yourself and really the downsides of not knowing your strengths and weaknesses. And most importantly, I think it's knowing your weaknesses and knowing when you need to delegate or ask for help or pay extra special attention to a particular task. I want to give a simple example. I used to have an assistant that was generally good on most fronts, but was really bad at booking travel. Anytime I had him book travel for me, he would mess up the times. So instead of leaving at 9 a.m., we'd leave at 9 p.m. If I was going to Minneapolis, from Minneapolis to Denver and back, he would book from Denver to Minneapolis and back. You know, just these little things, these little detail-oriented things that he kept screwing up. Or he would just make decisions that, frankly, weren't great decisions in terms of if you're driving around Europe, you kind of want to follow a certain path and he would map it out and it just wouldn't, it just wasn't, he wasn't great at it. The problem was, is he didn't know he wasn't great at it. Because if he had had the self-reflection and the knowledge that like, yeah, I'm kind of mediocre at this, then you ask for more guidance as you're taking the steps or you bring in outside help. Did he have a friend that he could ask advice about? Could he consult someone else? Could he, in this case, probably not, but you know, can you delegate it? I mean, these are the things that you need to think about as a founder or an executive of when I know I'm bad at something, but I still need to do it, how can I shore things up around me such that I'm not delivering a crappy product? Booking travel is a simple example, but not knowing yourself and not knowing your weaknesses can be severely detrimental 
to your ability to execute at a high level. Think about the startup founder that you know, I don't know if you know them, I know several, who don't take outside feedback. They don't incorporate that. They'll ask for opinions. Well, some people don't even ask. Some people just, I'm going to figure it all out by myself. I was actually like that for a few years. This is 15 years ago or so until I realized I actually need other people's help and I need you know to have a community around me and to have input from other people and I'm going to be better with that. But then there's that next step of the founder who has the gut feel to do something And I don't know if they know that it's right or know that it's wrong, but they will ask in a, for example, on Twitter or in a private Slack community. There's a a few that I'm part of. And there are some founders that ask these genuine questions of like, I'm thinking about making this pretty big strategic change and changing course of my product or positioning or a pivot or whatever you want to call it. And here's what I'm thinking about doing. I need everybody's input. And then 10 people weigh in nine of whom say that's a terrible idea and here's why. And these are knowledgeable people. Everybody knows each other. It's a small community. Knowledgeable, successful founders who, frankly, not that it matters, but they are more successful than the individual asking. And that says they probably know what they're talking about. I'm saying this to, to imply that that individual should probably be taking that feedback into account. And then they continue to go with their original plan and basically respond with a, yeah, it's too complicated. I'm just going to do this. Or... Uh, I didn't get the nuance across. Yeah, you guys didn't quite understand it. Or maybe it's just, yeah, I've decided to do this or they never respond. But I have sat and watched this particular individual basically kind of flounder for years as they make one strategic decision after another that their gut just isn't there on how to do it. And they can develop that gut, right? You, you don't start off as a startup founder with an incredible intuition of what decisions to make. So that's where you watch people that are more successful than you. And hopefully you can get mentored or at least get advice from people who are more successful than you and who you believe have that skill set, right, of, of having good judgment, of having developed a good founder gut. And when you do that, you develop your own instinct. You develop your own founder gut to make better decisions over time. But when you don't ask for help or you ask for help, but you don't listen to it, you don't develop that sense. And there's nothing magical or mystical about that sense, the founder gut, I keep saying, but it's something that frankly allows more experienced founders to get there faster. I work fewer hours and frankly have less energy than I did 10 years ago. And then I did 20 years ago, but somehow I get way more done. And the main reason for that is experience and founder gut. At this point, I work on the things that matter. And most of the things that I try work. Most of the things that I try ship and are successful. And you could argue a lot of different reasons for that. But I believe that that is from developing this knowledge of myself and my founder instinct and ability to see what works and what the biggest levers are. So if you're not noticing this blind spot that you have of how to incorporate outside feedback, I think it's almost impossible to develop that instinct. Another blind spot that I see in founders is folks who never ship anything. They don't finish anything. They have a lot of good ideas. They see the indie hacker on Twitter launching an idea a week or an idea a month, which is a nice publicity stunt. It's great. But realistically, you kind of live in a fantasy world if you think that's the best way to build a company to 10K a month, 100K a month, 5 million a month. The people who do this well 
usually focus on one thing and they follow it through to completion. It is so easy to let discouragement, lack of progress, tiredness, a sense of boredom with the idea to encourage you to have shiny object syndrome, right? And to move on to that next thing. But I know in, in the early 2000s, 20 years ago, I did this a little too much. And I think it's a, it's a siren song, especially for makers who want to build. And I would build something and I would launch it. And, you know, there was no hacker news. There was no product hunt. But I, I had a blog and I would launch it on, not, there's no social media. I would launch it on Dig. It was social news sites and Reddit was around at, at this time as well. And get a few comments and get a little bit of traction. And it was like super exhilarating for a couple days. And then the launch hullabaloo would die down. And then I was like, okay, now what? And the now what was now you start marketing. Now you start selling. Now comes the hard work to grow this. And instead of doing that, since it wasn't fun, I just moved on to the next thing. And it took me several projects to realize if I didn't finish anything, I wasn't going to get where I wanted to go. Another one I've seen and personally been afflicted with is kind of an anxiety around public criticism. And I think if you can identify that the reason you're not shipping or the reason you're not doing more things in public, because I have this quote, doing things in public creates opportunity. The moment you publish a blog post, the moment you publish a podcast, the moment you publish on YouTube or you ship code into the wild or you commit to an open source project or publish something on Product Hunt, you are doing something in public and you'll find that if you do that enough, you increase your luck surface area and things start to happen. Now, success is not all luck, right? It's hard work, luck, and skill. It's a combination of those three things. But one way to increase your own luck is to put in the hard work to ship things into the wild. And so doing things in public creates opportunity. And if you are scared of shipping things into the public eye for fear of criticism, which look, it does happen. It's very real. But if you're scared of it, you are robbing yourself of the possibility of encountering the serendipity or the luck that comes with having things out in public. I launched a project 15, 17 years ago, and within a few days, I had several people contact me and say, you built this. I need a developer, a freelancer, to build something for me in the SEO space because I I'd launched something that was a little dinky SEO tool. And that tool didn't last very long, but it got me three contracts at an hourly rate that was substantially more than I was making at my day job. And that was one of the inroads that I had into the freelancer space. I started doing it nights and weekends. It allowed me to save up $11,000 purely in freelance money that was done on the side. And then I used that to buy a software product, buy the whole thing. And then I levered that up. And that, you know that's my story, right? Is stair-stepping my way up. But had I not done that initial launch of that crappy little product that was around for four months... I don't think I would have dipped my toe so heavily into the freelancing space. And eventually freelancing slash contract work slash consulting gave me a lot of time freedom and, and remote work freedom back when that wasn't really a thing. And it gave me that freedom to allow me to build and grow software products on the side. So a lot of my success as an entrepreneur has come from doing things that scared me. And I was always afraid of public criticism. In fact, even in the days of growing my last SaaS app, which is very successful, called Drip, I still hated when anyone would rag on us on Twitter, when people would at mention me, when people would send in scathing emails, even though I knew it wasn't our fault and that this person was having a bad day or sometimes the person was an ass because both, both can sometimes be true. And yet I dreaded that and I let it 
impact me at a deep level. It was a blind spot that I had. And once I sold drip and then moved on, I swore that I would never be scared of that again. And I did a bunch of work, right? A lot of these things, you can swear, you can say logically, you don't want to be scared of this or you, you, know, you want to finish stuff, but you have to do your own work. The work that I've done has often involved therapy. It's often involved founder retreats where you've heard Sherry talk about them often on this podcast. I talk about them on my own as well, but it's where you go away for a few days and get away from everything, really center yourself and think about what's giving you life and what isn't. And it's in those moments of quiet when you're away from the day-to-day, you're away from your spouse, your kids, and work, you can often identify these blind spots you have and think about what can I do to work around them. Sometimes the work is internal, like with the public criticism thing. That's something you will have to work through with a therapist or in the ways I just described. Other times, if you're really crappy with numbers, I know some folks who are kind of number dyslexic, and that's okay. But then when you're in a spreadsheet, you should think about delegating to say, you need to do this, not me. You should think about bringing in a second set of eyes to review it before you ship it to a customer or bet your company on it. Or if you can't do one of those things, then this is something that you double, triple, and quadruple check over many days, meaning you come back to it cold, review it again, and then do that again a day later, right? There are ways to work around these blind spots that we have. But if you're not aware that you have them, you can't do the things I'm saying for everything. You can't triple check everything you write and every email and every text or whatever, because you just don't have the time. You can't be effective doing that. So knowing what your blind spots are can be a huge help. I used to love taking different personality tests and all the way from StrengthsFinder, Myers-Briggs is fine, but I took the Enneagram. I've taken several of these and obviously I don't change the course of my life based on the results of these tests, but I find that they give me some insight into who I am, how I operate well, perhaps some weaknesses that I have. Like I remember reading the Enneagram result and being like, yeah, that's pretty dead on. That is true. I, I do do that behavior and I hadn't realized it. And that it doesn't always happen. But once you hear that, and if you can realize I need to and want to get better at this because I want to be more successful as a founder, as an executive, and I also want it to be easier for me and I want to feel better as I'm being more successful. I think that identifying blind spots and either getting the help when you need it or perhaps avoiding those things. I will admit, I am not going to be a great manager of a 40-person company, right? It's just not something that I really enjoy. I can probably pull it off, but I would dislike it so much that I would not like my job. And therefore, I would half-ass a bunch of things that I should probably be doing. All the one-on-ones, managing managers who manage managers, right? For me personally, doesn't sound fun at all. So what that means is, you know, I sold my last company when we were at 10 employees. And there were different reasons for that. It wasn't just because we were getting big. It was also because a you know, great offer came by right at the right time and it all made sense. But I did look ahead and think to myself, do I want to be managing 20, 30, 40, 50 people as we grow? Because we're on a pretty you know, fast growth trajectory doubling every year. And the answer was no. And so I was definitely thinking, you know, how, can I, how can I make this work for who I am and my strengths? And these days, I run two very small teams. I run MicroConf, which is an online and in-person community for bootstrap SaaS founders. It's the first and the largest in the world. And we impact literally tens of thousands 
of startup founders and aspiring founders each year through our YouTube channel and our online community, our mastermind matching, our in-person events. And that team has two full-time and three part-time people. I'm one of the part-time because I, I split my time between MicroConf, TinySeed, and, and the podcast. And so we have incredible leverage and we hire senior people and we pay them well to be extremely effective at what they do and extremely efficient. But we don't need massive team size to have massive leverage in that space. Similar with Tiny Seed, which is the first startup accelerator for bootstrappers, our team there, I believe, is four full-time. Yeah, it's four full-time, one or two part-time. It depends on how you count me there as well. But similarly, there's a lot of leverage. We impact a lot of people and don't need to staff up to, you know, 30 or 40 people in order to have an outsized impact. So that's one way that I've thought about how I can be successful and still have a massive amount of leverage and a large impact on people without having to manage large teams. So aside from taking personality tests and going on founder retreats, which I certainly recommend, I think the other way I've learned about my blind spots is one, by asking, by asking my spouse or a co-founder or someone in my mastermind or a mentor, how am I screwing up? Like, what are the same mistakes that I make over and over? Help me understand. And oftentimes I can learn about blind spots that way. The other way has been through noticing my failures and the mistakes I've made and frankly, finding patterns, pattern matching between them and asking myself, are these mistakes that were just mistakes and it's okay? Because making mistakes on, it, on itself is not a bad thing. But if you're making the same mistakes or similar mistakes for similar reasons over and over, that's where I start to say, why is my gut off? Why is this a blind spot? What am I doing over and over, banging my head against this wall to effectively self-sabotage? You know, I use this expression, I know some founders who just get in their own way. They can't get out of their own way. And that's really what blind spots come down to is an inability to see how you are just fumbling the ball over and over. And sometimes there are folks outside of that that can totally see it. It's often the outside observer who has that insight. And if that outside observer is a friend or someone in a mastermind or a spouse or a business partner, that's when I think you want to give those folks permission to be able to speak into your experience and to speak into your personal growth such that you can identify the problems and then set about trying to do the hard work to get better at them. That's all for me today. I hope you enjoyed this little guest spot on the show. Thanks for joining me and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode of the podcast. In the meantime, feel free to check out zenfounder.com for lots of resources about the kinds of conversations that we have on the podcast. You can get information about working with me, about maybe joining a Zen tribe. It's sort of like a mental health boot camp for entrepreneurs. We also have lots of content on our blog, links to resources in our courses and books for sale. So check us out there and we hope to provide anything and everything that you might need to make the entrepreneurial life a little bit easier.